Shalom. Welcome to the Christchurch Jerusalem Bible Study, where we wrestle with God's Word. For more information on the church, to listen to sermons, to contact us, or to make a gift, visit ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Good evening, brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Christchurch Jerusalem, to our evening Bible study. We're at the, uh, the halfway through the book of halfway through chapter 26 of Leviticus, almost right at the end. We're continuing uh, the, the delve into God's call to all of us to lead a holy life and to be lights to the nations. And uh, we acknowledge that the Holy Spirit once again is present amongst us. doesn't matter where you are, whether you're like a friend of ours in hospital or whether you're in your homes, your families, or some of us still building your homes. The Spirit is present and He delights to be with His people. Uh, and we acknowledge that through, through prayer as we gather around His Word. So bless you all who are listening. Elizabeth, can you pray us in? Most gracious Father, we come to you today humbling, humbly asking that you awaken our hearts, expand our minds, and shape our image to look more like you. Father, give air and a fresh outpouring of your spirit and unclog our ears as we to what is being discussed your word be with us lord as we study to be workmen that needeth not to be ashamed rightly dividing the word of truth this we ask by the power of your holy spirit to your glory and all god's children said Amen. Thanks, Elizabeth. Okay, as is our tradition, a reading, a summary from last week's discussion. Israel's covenantal relationship with regard to the land of Israel was conditional upon Israel's faithfulness to the Torah. If Israel was faithful, then the land would be a place of shalom. If not, then the Lord would turn the land against its inhabitants. Recalling that the Israelites are still encamped around Mount Sinai, this is a prophetic warning for future generations, not the present community, which will not enter Canaan. The warning is prophetic for breaking the covenant, while on the actual soil of the promised land will have consequences. Obedience would bring blessing both to the people and the land as they share a unique bond and connection. Does obedience to God or his Messiah still yield blessing today? And if so, how is that different from works righteousness? Several results of obedience uh, to God are mentioned in Scripture. Acts 5.32 says the Holy Spirit is given to those who obey. And Hebrews 5.9 links obedience to salvation. In our discussion of this issue, we noted once again that the source of obedience and disobedience comes from the heart of a worshipper. Idolatry, the Sabbath, and the holiness of the sanctuary are paired together and begin the chapter on blessings and punishments. God reminds Israel that he alone is to be worshipped. Idolatry is described in a rare comprehensive fourfold form. Idolatry in the ancient world appeared as idols, carved images, sacred pillars, and engraved stones. Rarely in the scriptures does idolatry get linked like this. Normally it just says idolatry. But for some reason, we, it describes all four forms in, in, in the same sentence. 
adult uh, physical objects um, that people prostrate themselves before in submission. That's what they all seem to be. Conversely, the Sabbath is a practical expression of worship and obedience to God. So they're both practical expressions of worship. Are you worshiping the Lord through keeping his Shabbats? Or are you bowing down to something that's not real, which is actually just creation? Though you do not bow down to the Sabbath in such, the first thing God created that was holy was the Sabbath. And if you can't keep the first thing holy, then it will be nigh impossible, improbable that you'd be able to keep anything else holy either. In the instructions to, to build the tabernacle in Exodus, God declares he will live in them, not it. This does not diminish the holiness of the tabernacle. So while our bodies are indeed temples of the Holy Spirit, this does not diminish the declaration of Jesus that the temple was his father's house. One practical way of reverence for God was honoring the sanctuary. Blessings by the Lord upon Israel would be one way through which God would reveal himself to the world. Israel would be a light to the nations through those blessings, which were contingent upon walking with the Lord. Walking is an active verb, and the one the, the, that the biblical metaphors used in describing an active relationship with God. And Jesus does the same thing when he issues his call to follow or walk after him. God declares that a blessing of obedience would be that he will walk among his people. And he'll dwell with them, not in the sanctuary, but in them. The best blessing is saved for last, the presence of God among his people. The section of punishments or curses for disobedience is twice as long as the promises of blessings for obedience. And this is common, even in the New Testament where in the epistle of Galatians, the nine fruits of the Spirit listed by Paul are first preceded by 18 evil fruits. Why does this literal phenomena occur in Scripture? Two to one, perhaps reflects on the human condition that we respond to threats more than we are motivated by promises of blessings. Perhaps. The subtext here is that we reap what we sow. God is indeed the author of blessing or calamity. The consequence is not initiated uh, by us, but by a divine response to us. Galatians 6, uh, 6 to 8 says, is maintain the, maintains the theology of reaping and sowing, and therefore Paul admonishes us not to become weary of doing good. That's part of our continued call of holiness. Be good. And now we finish off the uh, chapter of Leviticus. I'll pick it up at verse 27 to the end. Leviticus 26, 27 to the end. But if, if in spite of this, this is where we're not listening to God, but you walk contrary to me, then I will walk contrary to you in fury, and I myself will discipline you sevenfold for your sins. You'll eat the flesh of your sons, and you'll eat the flesh of your daughters. And I'll destroy your high places and cut down your incense altars and cast your dead bodies upon the dead bodies of your old idols. And my soul will abhor you. And I will lay your cities waste and I'll make your sanctuaries desolate. And I will not smell your pleasing aromas. And I myself will devastate the land so that your enemies who settle in it will be appalled at it. And I will scatter you among the nations. And I will unsheathe the sword after you and your land 
shall be a desolation and your cities shall be a waste. And then the land shall enjoy its Sabbaths as long as it lies desolate while you are in your enemy's land. And then the land shall rest and enjoy its Sabbaths. As long as it lies desolate, it shall have rest. The rest that it did not have on your Sabbaths, you were dwelling in it. And as for those of you who are left, I will send faintness into their hearts, into the lands of their enemies. The sound of a driven leaf shall put them to flight. They shall flee as one flees from the sword, and they shall fall when none pursues. They'll stumble over one another as if to escape a sword, though none pursues. You shall have no power to stand before your enemies, and you shall perish among the nations, and the land of your enemies shall eat you up. Those of you who are left shall rot away in your enemies' lands because of their iniquity and because of the iniquities of their fathers. They shall rot away like them. But if they confess their iniquity and iniquity of their fathers in their treachery that they committed against me and also in walking contrary to me, so that I walked contrary to them and brought them into the land of their enemies, if then their uncircumcised heart is humbled and they make amends for their iniquity, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob and I will remember my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham and I will remember the land. But the land shall be abandoned by them and enjoy its Sabbaths while it lies desolate without them. They shall make amends for all that when they are in the land of their enemy. I will, I will not spurn them, neither will I abhor them, so as to destroy them utterly and to break my covenant with them. For I am the Lord their God. But I will for their sake remember the covenant with their forefathers whom I brought out of the land of Egypt in the sight of the nations that I might be their God. I am the Lord. These are the statutes and the rules and the laws that the Lord made between himself and the people of Israel through Moses on Mount Sinai. Right. So it's almost like a conclusion of the Torah. Remember how many books are there actually in the Torah? Yep, there are four, four books of Torah. And then the fifth one is kind of like a commentary. It's a, it's this incredible one-off summary that, that uh, Moses does before the children of Israel go into the land uh, uh, of Israel and comes out the conquest of Canaan, where he kind of misses a few things in the first four books and adds a few things and highlights some more things. Um, and really does a really interesting teaching. We did a, a, a study on it for those that, that um, might have not picked it up. Hopefully it's still on podcast land called uh, The Last Words of Moses. Okay, but here in our text, there's a few interesting things that I thought we might look at. So at the end of our um, uh, call to holiness and all of the things that were holy, not so holy, and the call to distinguish between the sacred and the profane, you get the um, the list of curses and, 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 and blessings, punishments and rewards for obedience, which leads to all kinds of uh, theological questions. Okay, but before I ask one, any questions of the text from you guys? Is there anything there that jumped out? You went, oh, how does that actually work in real life? Well, I got one. As a... Uh, as a I guess, a, a young Protestant Christian, when learning the faith, uh, one of the things you might come across, probably have come across, is this topic called 
total depravity of man. Anyone ever heard of it? Okay, it's a Calvinist tradition, so it comes from the Reformation. Well, it's, it's prior to Reformation, but it's highlighted by the, the, the movement of Calvin. Now, remember, uh, the Reformation wasn't Protestants versus Catholics. Okay, it was Catholics versus Catholics. Right, the, what comes out of them get labelled as, as as Protestants. So, so um, it's it's not fair to say this is Protestant theology. It's 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 15th century church church theology, the doctrine of total depravity of man. Uh, anyone know what that actually means? Anyone to know how to give a definition for it? Nope. Okay. Yeah. Teresa, you no, can do one? Yeah. No, I don't think I can do it, but I just wanted to suggest, isn't this what is behind the doctrine of original sin? Correct. Well, yes, kind of. That, that we're kind of born, we're born wicked and, you know, or, or we're born with an evil inclination or something. I'm not quite sure because I haven't really studied it in that depth. But yeah. it, just, it just seems to me that the, the original sin thing is kind of linked into it. It's linked in, yes, of course. So the, the, the evil inclination is the way um, Jewish people might describe the nature mm -hmm. of man, that we have this good inclination and evil inclination, but unfortunately the evil inclination often overrides and you need some help. And of course, what was the initial help? It was the Torah, as Paul says. Mm -hmm. It was your shield, it was your guardian, it was your defense, it gave you the right instructions, and um, now you have the spirit. Um, but does it, Aaron, does it does the evil inclination precede the fall? Ah, that's that's interesting. So that would say that Adam had the evil inclination in him already? That's a good question. I don't know. I'll have to look at that one. Okay. Thank you. That's an interesting thought. Okay. Uh, I wonder if would Madi know anything? He's yeah. Um, Malti, are you here? Yeah, he's here. His name is here. <laughs> well, his name is here. Okay. Um, but I'm going to have to check that one out. Where the evil inclination um, does it proceed? So, like, the total depravity of man has two streams to it. There's the there's the um, five point Calvinism idea that sort of says sin has infected every single part of us, our spirits, our souls, our minds, our pasts, our futures, every fiber of our being. So we are just absolutely useless and we're just naturally going to be completely bad. We can never make any right choices except by God. The the lesser <laughs> will say, no, you're full of sin, but you can still do some good stuff. Because obviously they can read in the Bible where Jesus says, if you're evil and you know how to do good things, right? And it's like, well, how does that work? If you're evil, how can you still do good? So one, there was one stream that said, you know, um, there's absolutely no hope for anybody uh, without Jesus. And the other one says, well, left alone, you'll, you'll tend to make poor, poor choices. Um, the, the, the issue that always comes up with, with Calvinism is, um, what do you do with choice in the Bible? If if you if you yourself are so evil that you can't ever make a good choice, why does God set you up for a fail? So here we are on Mount Sinai. The Lord, the Lord has redeemed Israel. They haven't been good, and then they've been taken out of Egypt. They were slaves. They didn't know anything about God. Grace and mercy from the Lord took them out uh, of Egypt. Now they're at Mount Sinai. God gives them their instructions. And it's a choice. Moses is going to say in Deuteronomy, choose life. Here you've got a choice. If you get, if you obey, these will be the blessings. If you don't disobey, these will be the punishments. 
And uh, but if you can't obey, then large sections of this become completely superfluous. Do they not? Help me out here, guys. What do you think? Or are you just as uh, confused as me, perhaps? Do Do you think that um, we've seen elements of the depravity and evil in <clears throat> in our not such an old history in Europe? We've had quite a lot of depravity and. I've, I've read somewhere about children being eaten in China in starving situations. And I mean, to me, that's a horror thing. But I, I would, but, but the Lord speaks of it here very plainly. And he doesn't, he doesn't put anything in that isn't, isn't meant for us to read or to think about or that will happen. So I was wondering, and I, I in, in, and it's, it's in the last century and a half, really, there have been this kind of, things visited upon us. I think this is why we sometimes feel that, um, you know, the word, the world is is going in the wrong direction at the moment. I mean, I, I don't want to put it any stronger than that, but we all feel it, really. But there was cannibalism in the Bible, First Kings, when the, during the siege. So it's been in the past. Yes, unfortunately, it's, it's happened in our current generation. It's happened in, in antiquity. It's happened to Jewish people. And it's it's happened to, to Gentiles. Um, the, I, th I think what I'm just trying to, I'm trying to have, have us wrestle with is the tension that we find in different parts of the Bible where even Paul says, you know, I do the things I don't want to do. Oh, what a wretched man am I. You know, I, 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 I'm no good. And yet he admonishes people to do good. I think that's what I was meaning, because is it is it the evil? You know, we, we perhaps don't see evil in the same way that, it was seen in biblical times. Possible. That, that might be the right way to say is, is as, as we're discussing words like evil or evil inclination or total yes. depravity, perhaps we're not quite, because we're a little bit removed from 2,000 years from Jesus, we've had a bit of time to develop this, this theology. We might not always have it, be able to articulate it in the best, best of ways. That, that was my problem. I'm sorry. But no. it, it was... Because the it's church has wrestled with this for thousands of years, Kate. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. So we have here this summation. Uh, the people of Israel are still at Mount Sinai, and we're setting up this idea that, you know, um, obey, walk with the Lord, even though we know, because we've already set up, that we're not going to walk perfectly. Remember, Large sections of, of Leviticus make distinctions. Be able to distinguish good and evil, right from wrong, pure from impure, male from female, etc., etc. Make you can make distinctions. When we get it wrong, repent, come back. So there's it's already built in. It's not that's just the, the call is don't be perfect, although it's there, because even Jesus himself says, Oh, be perfect, by the way. Um, and you go, oh man, I just sent the bar high, will you? You know, um, the it's it's there already in the text. There's something else about this going so far away from God that you either are unwilling or you don't want to, or there's something about rebellion that uh, that gets that gets a consequence, the consequence to actions. And uh, verse 27 says, you know, in spite of this, so here's the Lord doing his best to shake Israel, future Israel, up, right? 
you know, we're walking the wrong in the wrong direction. I'll, I'll, I'll wake you up. Whether that's through prophets, whether that's through wars or famines or some sorts of calamities. Um, but if you keep walking contrary to me, there's that, and that's an action. That's not just a belief. That's a, that's a physical, actual action as well. That you're, then God says, I'll walk contrary to you. You know, I won't do things that are for your benefit. I want to. It's part of my nature to do such a thing. I've been doing good things to you when you didn't even know who I was. Right? I took you out of Egypt. You didn't even know who I was. Uh, you didn't do anything that deserved my love and affection. I just did it. I'm the Lord. And uh, But if you choose to walk away from me, I will respond in kind. And uh, and then there's there's those, those horrible things that that the Lord set, uh, tells us of the future. You'll eat the flesh of your sons and the flesh of your daughters. And that, as um, Yvonne says, that's actually recorded in Kings. That these actually happened during some of the sieges of Jerusalem. It's horrible. Um, I'll destroy your high places and cut down your incense altars. Um, what are they? One wonders. Right? This this future prophecy that. There will be places where you'll worship the Lord that are not prescribed to do so. You'll have them anyway. Um, and th- we know this from antiquity, that when the children of Israel did enter into Canaan, that um, they often would keep sacred places that were special to the uh, Canaanite tribes and incorporate them into their worship. That is, if they found a sacred grove, they wouldn't say, let us worship the god Baal here, although later they might. They might have said, let's worship God here. And and uh, because some of the patriarchs set up altars were all over the place. They had like a sacred history of, of them actually doing that. Um, yet the Torah kind of says there'll be a special place that I'll, I'll mark down uh, for you. Um, so there's this, there's, they've got these, false centers of worship, and um, and they've also got idols attached to them. Here is probably be the, the physical idols that uh, the beginning of the chapter actually spoke about, although we've discussed that idolatry, which is the plague of the Hebrew Bible. It greeds the plague of the New Testament. Idolatry is the plague of the Hebrew Bible. Uh, it doesn't have to be a uh, an idol of a god. It can be all kinds of things, anything that is... Has, that you're swearing your allegiance to aside from the Lord. And God's soul, which he has, instead will actually have a negative reaction. It'll be repelled by you. Isn't that kind of sad, right? That, um, uh, that we can actually do something that will actually repel the Lord. And that's actually what we find happening uh, in the, as through Israelite history, which should be a lesson for absolutely everybody. Um, you know, the Holy Spirit or the, the Shekinah, the, the glory of the Lord, departs the temple right, eventually. What was it that repelled the Spirit? It took a lot for the Shekinah, the Shekinah, to actually get repelled out of the land of Israel. Um, it wasn't just like we did one sin and then suddenly God ran away. Right? You know, King David says in his psalm, uh, after he's done murder, and uh, lying and adultery and all kinds of sins. He says, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. I mean, who knows what the Holy Spirit was doing at this time? Right? Probably sitting around going, boy, really? i got to hang out with this guy a little bit longer? Oh, man. Uh, how long do I have to stay here, Lord? Um, 
we 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 it, we can't get to the thinking that where it says I do one thing wrong and God's going to punish me. That's not the way you read this. That's not the way you should read anything in in, in, the, in the Bible. Um, there is this constant wooing, this constant uh, love, this constant care of the Lord, and He knows that we're not perfect because God saved and redeemed a bunch of imperfect people. He took a bunch of slaves who were not beautiful, which were not gorgeous. I mean, that's what I might have been in terms, but they weren't like just perfect and 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 you know and and, and constantly singing psalms and you know and doing good deeds to small children. These were um these were these were sinners just like you and me. And God and God redeemed them and he still loved them. However, there was something where the rebellion would get so strong that there would have to be a consequence. And uh, and the consequence is that it would even it would react. God's very soul would react in in, in abhorrence, and uh, which is pretty sad. So in verse thirty one uh, and thirty two, actually in 30, I'll do 31, 32, 33. See if you can pick up a thought that that this might have occurred in a previous uh, or that God when He speaks. Is there, is there an event in the sacred history of the Jewish people that sounds kind of similar? And I will lay your cities waste and make your sanctuaries desolate. And I will not smell your pleasing aromas. And I myself will devastate the land so that your enemies will, who settle in it will be appalled at it. And I will scatter you among the nations. Where, does, does that sound familiar to any other part of the Torah? Can I just suggest, certainly... Um, in Isaiah and also be in Jeremiah but one of the it's not identical but one of the um, chapters I like in Isaiah that resonates with some of this is uh, Isaiah 5 the song of the vineyard when God shows his mercy by gradually you know he says what more could I do you know I dug I did this I cleared it I made it all you know put the watchtower there and and so on and he's he make gives the picture of the vineyard that he had built um, which is Israel, he says at the end. But then, because they failed, he then gradually, he didn't do it straight away, he gradually took away. But, you know, he starts off, where does he, um, I think he starts off with taking away the fence and then gr- taking away the hedge and it will be destroyed. I will break down its wall. I will make it a wasteland. But it's like a gradual process as if he's still hoping for repentance. He's just taking a little bit away and hoping, now won't this make you change? And and then, of course, there's a whole list of woes after that and the anger of the Lord, and he said, says you will be exiled. Um, so that, that was that's my contribution on that one. It seemed kind of relevant to this. Well, I, I think it's it's also applicable in the in when God says, I don't change. So the same way he speaks here, you know, speak prophetically, and then he's going to, he's going to, it's going to be the same, right, even after Jesus. No, I, the Lord, don't change, right? I am the same yesterday, today, and and uh, tomorrow. And these sort of ideas, uh, the anger of the Lord or the fury of the Lord reappears in Revelation in particular. Okay? That's not to say that he doesn't before, right? not to say that go through human history, he has not intervened in his creation, I think. The Lord intervenes all the time in his creation. He's quite intimately involved in individuals, communities, and in nations. Um, he's listening to prayer. He's, uh, he's, 
he, he's doing all kinds of things. But here we're talking about something quite, quite um, uh, national. But uh, any any ideas where we hear the I will before? It's Exodus. I will go down and smite Egypt. I will break all their gods. I will bring my judgment. Right? There's the same sort of language. There he's taking Egypt out. And here he comes down and says, oh, my gosh, look what you've done. You've become just like them. So I will do this. And he's very strong, very fierce uh, promises. He does not change. And he has the same attitude, isn't this interesting, to Gentile nations as he does to his own people. So there's a blessing for his people. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there's a connection to the land, which we will see very, very quickly. But there's also this. Look, you know, I, if I've judged that nation, how much more am I going to judge you, right? Just, you know, um, don't think we can, we can keep, get away from, uh, or Jesus loves me, this I know, so now I can get away with anything. No, it doesn't quite work that way. All right. Um, yes, uh, Damaris has a comment. It seems that these verses are also tied into not keeping the Sabbath. Yep. Uh, it's interesting that the the... The chapter starts by linking idolatry with the Sabbath, right, as part of the, you know, uh, the Sabbath is the first thing kept holy. If you can't keep that holy, you won't be able to keep anything else holy. So it's kind of like a little link. Here's your little, little linchpin uh, or um, little valve, little litmus test to, to see how you're doing. Uh, the, there's a connection between the land and the people and the, and, and the Sabbath and the people, and the Sabbath in the land, right? Who's not keeping the Sabbath? The people. Who gets to keep the Sabbath? The land, right? It's not like the land decides, oh, I think I'll keep Shabbat today. Um, it's, it's you, there's a partnership. And I think that also harkens right back into, the, into Genesis, where when we're told to subdue the earth or, or conquer it, it's also control it. And so we can control it for good. We can control it. For evil, we can really mess up and pollute the planet, but we can actually let it flourish, and it can do all kinds of wonderful things for us and with us. Um, the punishments that we've been talking about are they individualistic or are they community based? What are they, guys? It's collective. Collective, because he's going to scatter. I will scatter you. Yep. It's not like you you can't scatter one person. You scatter. A tribe. Yep. Yeah. You know, we we often don't like the idea of collective punishment, do we? Right. We're, we've come to a, a part of our culture where we're so individualistic that we often read the Bible as individuals, right? And we, you know, and and uh, it's a lot of our worship music, unfortunately, is also incredibly individualistic, is it not? You know, it's all about me. It's not about you. You know, Jesus loves me and not you. Um, you know, none of this us stuff. Uh, but here, there is no individualism. What happens if you're a good guy? What happens if you're, a, you know, a really good person? Um, and you've been keeping Torah all your life. What happens now? It's very interesting, Aaron, that question, because um, in certain parts of the Bible, especially in Ezekiel, he, when there's a siege... Well, you know, they were taken in three three phases um, to Babylon, and um, you've got Daniel, and then you've got Ezekiel in the second wave. And it's interesting because he says, 
when they're going to mark, you know, they separate, there's a separation of the evil <clears throat> and the ones that are, they're sad for the abominations that have occurred. They're crying, they're, they're lamenting and, and the Lord puts a mark on them and, and they're still in Babylon, but they're separated into the Lord. And he even becomes a little sanctuary to them. Sometimes we go through the devastation, like Noah went through the devastation and sometimes they're taken out of the devastation, like Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, but right. there is a separation. So, yeah, that whole Sodom and Gomorrah um, discussion is really quite fascinating. Uh, you know, you get Abraham getting into a really good haggling session with the Lord Almighty. Um, yeah. And you wonder at his audacity. Uh, you wonder, am I allowed to do it too? Uh, you wonder what happened if he actually had haggled less than 10, right? You know, what actually would have happened? You know, is that uh, would, would you spare it for 10? Ten? 10's enough. But there was only four. There was Lot, his wife, and his two daughters. I mean, it, he could have haggled it down to four. And then, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah would have been fine, I guess. You know, why didn't he do the same for Isaac when the Lord, you know, asked him so, to take Isaac? That's a very good <laughs> question. He haggles for for that, but he won't he won't haggle. Yeah, for his son. And what do you think the difference is, Yvonne? It's a great question. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it's because the Lord actually asked something of him very personally. You take your son, whereas here, Abraham slightly removed from it. I'm going to go destroy that place. It's got nothing to do with you. Oh, wait a second. Are you sure you want to do that? That's really not in your character. Um, as opposed to you know a direct personal, you do this. And then he left, left to obey. Also, um, in the case of Abraham, it was a, this was a sacrifice. Here, it was going to be a punishment in Sodom. It's, it's two different things. Um, Abraham was going to offer his son as a sacrifice, but in Sodom, the destruction of Sodom was actually a punishment. Okay, that's a good point. Those slightly differences in, um, in actual intentions there. One is a punishment and one is a, is a sacrifice. Very good. Excellent. And probably Abraham might have even recognized that as part of his journey and walk with the Lord. Okay. So we've got collective punishment going on. Right? So there is a collective responsibility. And it's one of the things that seems to have been lost in a sort of more recent experience. I, I, I'm not sure from like 100 years ago because I wasn't alive back then. But I wonder if we were acted or thought ourselves of a little bit more in a collective sense. Um, I don't really know. I can't speak to that. So I haven't read any articles that would suggest that. I just look at our world today and see us acting in some very, very individual, individualistic ways. Now, that doesn't mean God doesn't work with individuals. He does. The Bible's full of the Lord speaking to individuals and to communities uh, and redeeming a few people and redeeming nations. But here, the results are collective. and people along the way embrace that for both good and for evil. So a good guy, Daniel. Daniel is carted away into captivity. He's young, probably around 12 or so. And uh, he's then eunuched by uh, the bad guys, the Babylonians. And he then starts to serve uh, these evil pagan emperors. And he serves four evil pagan emperors, completely faithfully. He doesn't plan an assassination. He doesn't instigate a rebellion. He 
serves them and continues his loyalty to God. And when he prays in Daniel chapter 2, he confesses his sins. He says, we have sinned. He identifies as part of the nation, and um, which is a very, very interesting and powerful prayer, is that he's righteous. Yeah. Nehemiah does the same. He confesses his sins. He includes himself in the abominations and the idolatry and the the, 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 the evil. He, he also prays the collective. Yep. They, they, they pray the collective prayer. And uh, how did Jesus teach us to pray? Forgive us, Father. It's collective. It's this idea of, you know, you're part of a holy people. You're part of something bigger than just you. I love you. Absolutely. Does, does not, that doesn't mean Jesus doesn't love us individually or personally and is intimately involved you know, and wants to be with Rocky right now, right, and, and bring healing. But at the same time, we have to remember that we are saved to something. Yeah, we're saved from something. Absolutely. But what are we saved to? Saved to be a holy people. We're saved into community. We're saved into this giant, yeah, togetherness. Um, Teresa, you've got a hand raised. Is that a comment on something we're talking here? Yeah, uh, well, yes, it is. I was just thinking of the relevance of what you're saying to the world as it is now and thinking of it in relation to perhaps this country, which is closer to me than the, the whole world, and just you know, just recently how we've been suffering the effects of climate change. I know we're suffering them all the time, but in different ways. Um, but, you know, the fires that have broken out here, the damage, you know, houses lost. And we, I know that's been much worse in places like Australia and, and North America and so on, but I'm just making that point. So who repents? Is it the church who repents? Well, that would be a good start, wouldn't it? Because we don't seem to have much of a spirit of repentance in, in the, the, the wider church, in, in certainly over here. Or is it the whole nation that we're trying to call to repentance, which is a much, much bigger thing, given the, um, well, the multicultural religions that we have? I probably haven't put that in the best way, but you know what I'm talking about, the different faiths. So that, that was just what was going around in my head as you were talking, because we know we, we know there's a huge need for repentance because we've messed everything up and it's becoming more and more apparent how we've used resources um, for our own benefit and, and just, you know, wreck the land because of that. And it's everywhere that that is done. So it's, it's that kind of thing. I mean, you know, I could go on, but that wouldn't be appropriate. Sure. No, but it's, it's, thank you very much. We, we, have, we, have, we are reaping what we have sown. And, uh, yeah. Um, comment in the chat uh, by uh, Shimshon. Uh, was, was Daniel actually a eunuch? In the book of Daniel, it doesn't mention his family. He never gets married and never has any kids. It's a, it's a prophecy from Isaiah to Hezekiah where he, 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 he says that your descendants will be eunuchs in the court of Babylon. And, uh, and so there's a Jewish tradition that links that word to Hezekiah to actually the only story you have of, of people being in the court of Babylon, which is Daniel. And so they'll conclude that Daniel was actually of the house of David. Although, unfortunately, in his side of the line, it no longer continued. And so you end up with no descendants of Daniel, no house of Daniel, no children. Um, but he ends up having spiritual children. Uh, anyone know who they are? 
the Magi. So uh, the Magi, the evil guys who wanted to go and kill uh, Daniel, they all get thrown to the lions. And then if Daniel being thrown to the lions, they're thrown to the lions. And so the tradition, which is actually recorded in parts of the Talmud, by the way, uh, Jewish tradition, it's kind of a cool one, is that um, you know Nebuchadnezzar went, oh, I've just happened to have thrown all my wise people into lions. Now I haven't got any. I better get some more. Oh, by the way, Daniel, you're the smartest of the guys, so you train them. And so he actually is called in the Talmud Rav Maji, chief of the magicians. So he, tra he trains the next round of guys. Of course, he trains them in the truth. And so you end up with Persian magicians coming to worship Jesus. How do they know how to do this? Because they've actually been set up by their, by their spiritual father, um, Daniel. You don't have to believe that. That's not important. That's just a tradition that, that uh, describes there. It's linked to a small prophecy in Isaiah. I'll include it in the links, I think, all the notes uh, that, uh, for the, the next week. Um, and that, that's who, who, who he is because it, it, it's going to lead into my next question. If we've got corporate responsibility and now corporate punishment, what about individuals? Because we're all caught up in this. What's individual responsibility in amongst this corporate mess? How should we behave, brothers and sisters, uh, knowing that we still might get caught up in the mess? Okay. So let's just say you don't take part in the degradation of society, um, but you're still in the society that's degraded. How shall we behave? What shall we do? And Damara says, we still have to live the word. Absolutely. What's the call of Leviticus? What, is our, what are our tasks to do? To live we are holy, to become a holy nation. We are. We're meant to actually become the holy nation. And that might, so, so our individual, isn't that interesting? My individual responsibility is to become part of the holy nation. So, yeah. So I've got, I've got to walk the walk. It's not just me all by myself loving Jesus and forgetting anybody else. It's me accepting the call uh, despite the mess that's around and or perhaps the looming reaping of our sowing but to begin to sow into something uh, bigger, okay, which is the kingdom of heaven and, uh, and something bigger. All right. So there's a collective responsibility. There's also a collective punishment. There's an individual responsibility, and that is to join and uh, to walk out as a holy people. Um, and so our choices and our actions, they have consequences uh, for good or for ill. Uh, our consequences will have personal consequences. They just affect us and our immediate surroundings. They might affect our families, right? When we make a choice, good one or a bad one, our families are affected. Okay, um, VTech, you know, when he makes a choice, it affects little Aaron. Aaron doesn't get a choice in the matter. He's just part of the deal now. And that goes for all of us. Uh, and we also have... Uh, choices that we make in our communities and then it goes even larger than that so it's it's uh we actually each of us has a really incredible role to play we should never never belittle the role that we play we often sometimes the world likes to make us small likes to say you actually can't do anything you actually physically can't change anything so just you know crawl into bed turn the tv on watch netflix and forget we'll take care of your life right you will learn nothing and be happy um 
but uh, but that's not the, that's not what God says at all. God says it's, it's a lot bigger than that, right? You know, you shine your light, uh, share the love, grow the kingdom. Kingdom can't stop. It's a it's a force. Where two or three are gathered, trust me, I'm there, and uh, you can get uh, you can get actually quite powerful. It's interesting. The tendency is with the corporate. Well, that's not fair. I I wasn't involved. I didn't participate. <laughs> Um, Daniel, you know, and Ezekiel and Jeremiah, Ezekiel especially, and um, right, yeah, yes, Esther, Esther and Mordecai, and and so many others that were taken taken off, and um, that that's that's uh, really is it's and and it could be nations, modern nations today, and and yep. um, and our attitude in the face of that. Yep. Let's have a look at this. Uh, uh, Vitex put a little quote in from Leviticus, that uh, the pinnacle of the book, 19. There's little Aaron. Okay, rebuke your brother as well. Rebuke your neighbor, frankly, so you don't share in their guilt. So there's this individual responsibility to rebuke the neighbor so that the community is blessed and doesn't you don't share in the corporate punishment that comes from a society that has gone gone wayward so we actually can't be silent isn't that an interesting thought yeah yep we have to tell people that they're wrong <laughs> but in a nice way <laughs> yeah it's, it's not always easy my gosh it's uh, finding those very brave few that actually can speak to the the nations it's a it's a, those heroes are unfortunately few and far between but it's a calling for all of us i look here at this um this passage here and what we're seeing is the destiny of a nation, right? Here we are, Mount Sinai. Eventually, we will get up and we will start moving and we will enter and take over the land of Israel and begin uh, uh, to, to shine our light. And our future, the isn't going to be solved by military might, although that's involved. And our future is not going to be decided by how rich we become. And Israel becomes quite wealthy. Okay? They have a flourishing kingdom under, under Solomon, very, very, very wealthy. Um, the future of Israel is decided by what? By God. Yeah, oh God, yes, absolutely. Repentance, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, yep. obedience. Yep, morality. Isn't that interesting? It's got, you know, it's got, God doesn't say, Get economically successful and I'll bless you. Get militarily powerful and I will conquer your enemies for you. What he says is be moral. Be a light to the nations. Yeah, follow my instructions. Have my heart and I'll, and I'll bless you. And uh, I'll walk with you. I'll live with you. Right? I'll, I should be a part of your community. That's a pretty good, good promise. And um, However, there's a special interesting caveat in all this. Morality isn't something that can be imposed. God can't make you a good person. Right? So it's not that, although perhaps there are streams of Calvinism that might say, actually, yeah, he does. But um, it's, it's like you have the, you have to make the, the choice to serve the Lord. God helps you, yes, but he doesn't make you. If I will make this person good, whether he likes it or not, he will just be good. There's no, no responsibility in it at all. Um, that's uh, there's there's a there's a is our response to that call. Morality isn't something imposed by the Lord. It's requested, required, 
we would like it. He shows us the benefit of it. He gives us his teaching and his guidance to say, this is actually the way you should walk. And he sets before you choices, choose life. But uh, he, doesn't, he, doesn't, he doesn't just take somebody and just ram um, the Torah down their throats and say, okay, that's it. Now you can't avoid it. You'll just do it. Yeah. All right. So it's the uh, the idea that that we have we are we are we are saved while we're sinners. The process starts from God, right? We're we're not saved because of anything we did. Israel's not saved and redeemed out of Egypt because they were good. Their spiritual birth and walk with the Lord starts when we were in darkness. Maintenance of the relationship, well, that's up to us. We have each other. We have the Holy Spirit, and we have the instructions of the Lord, the Torah. We have. His guidance and his um, and his teachings, and then the journey goes before us. Okay, uh, moving on to verse thirty-four here, which shows us again the connections with the people and the land, and how the land is actually quite important. It's unique. It's this. It's this unique relationship that the children of Israel, the holy people, have with the holy land, and uh, and the holy land has a relationship with holy time, with, which is a very interesting thought as well. Uh, the land shall enjoy its Sabbaths uh, as long as it lies desolate. And while you're in your enemy's lands, uh, the land will have its rest. So is there anything there that seems um, that you might want to comment about? Is it, is that verse that the land having a Sabbath, the land of Israel having a Sabbath? Mm. What about other lands? Can they have a Sabbath as well? Yeah, I agree. I think they can. I think they, they should. But here you've got a particular particular one. It's like, you know, if, if the land of Israel doesn't get its Sabbath, then something happens. You know, it's, it's usually compared like this, um, that the weekly Shabbat is the same as when the land gets the yearly Shabbat. That's the weekly Shabbat to the man is the same effect of the yearly Shabbat to the land itself. And it's so very interesting that we saw that um, one of the reasons for the Lord kicking them out of the land was actually because of the Shabbat and um, during the Babylonian exile. And, um, and they had to stay 70 years outside the land so that the land can have its perfect Shabbat and, uh, before, they, before they came back. Yeah. That's, uh, is that Jeremiah? Did he discuss that or is that Ezekiel? Uh, that's Jeremiah. That's Jeremiah. Yeah. And, and it seems like this also hearkens to that. This is already the prophetic voice saying, um, you, will, uh, you will forsake me, you'll rebel, and, you, and, and, and then the land will get its Sabbaths, which it deserves, which is an interesting thought, and, uh, uh, but I'll bring you back. Um, first of all, unfortunately, there's even these more terrible woes that even after we're still carted away, uh, all kinds of horrible things happen uh, in exile. There'll be there'll be faint heart. Um, you'll be terrified. That you will be have no power, etc., etc., etc. You're running away when no one's pursuing you, uh, etc. Um, and uh, and it seems like there's this little bit of a of a just a remnant. But then from verse forty, you begin to get. Um, uh, some beautiful promises, but they're linked. They're, they're, they're actually also linked to action, if you confess. Yeah, in fact, this, this chapter is always seen as a prophecy more than a warning. Um, you see verse 29, it says, you shall eat the flesh of your sons and the flesh of your daughters. And we see that prophecy come to pass 
in um, Second Kings um, during the reign of Ahab. Um, the two women that um, they, they, they wanted to eat their children, and the other one decided not to surrender a child. And um, Ahab, you know, Ahab being a bad guy, actually tore his clothes. It was, it was a big deal. I mean, at the time Moses was saying this, it would sound so bizarre. I mean, in Israel, we will be can, we'll be become cannibals. I mean, it sounds so bizarre, but actually it came to pass in Israel. And also the land and the Shabbat, we saw that come to pass during the Babylonian exile and um, how Israel was oppressed in so many places. In fact, um, it's always seen as um, a prophecy more, more than a, a warning to the trend of Israel because they actually went through all the cycle of this um, process. Excellent. It's, it's definitely very prophetic and it would have sounded completely strange to them. You're going to eat your children? We're eating manna. You know, here we are getting it's just raining down from heaven. We've got the bread of heaven. What's this? It, it would seem so remote that they would even do such a thing. But we're not. Uh, and it is definitely prophetic because this nation that's hearing all this isn't the one that actually going to go in to the land and actually do any of it. They're, they're not going to have the opportunity to, to, to even fulfill many of these um, commandments because they're not actually in the land of Israel at the time. It's definitely, definitely very, very prophetic. And, and it's crazy because, I'm sorry, Aaron, <clears throat> when you think about a siege before they're actually taken, people are dying. Of course, they're, they're, there's cannibalism. People are dying and um, there's sickness and there's pestilence and people are, you know, the dead bodies yep. are inside the walls and um, verms and so many other things that we can't even imagine during a siege. It's yep. terrible. And we, have, we have to remember that... Um, uh, abandonment isn't rejection, right? Just because God removes the hand of protection and actually imposes a hand of, of judgment doesn't actually mean rejection. Those are two different things. Right? Because the next, the next, this section on confession, if they confess their iniquity and their iniquity of their father, so it's not just their personal one, right? You know, what the, that the idea of that sin actually is transmissible. You can actually, it can go on to the next generation. And there is a responsibility that a generation has for the sins of the past, right? That sort of idea of collective, you reap what you sow. And that includes the unborn generations. So if they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers in their treachery, in their rebellion, uh, that they committed against me and their walking. So it's not just I sinned in my heart. I sinned in my actions so that I walked in contrary to them, and I brought them into the land of their enemies. So what's interesting about that, that verse? Okay, the Hebrew is very interesting there. It's uh, I brought, teveti, right? I brought them, as opposed to I sent them away, I threw them away. So where's God? In the land. With his people, with them. Yeah, in exile. right. Yeah, and it's always with them, yeah. Yeah, he's, he's a, even though they've rebelled against him, Right, they're treacherous, he says, and he's and he's punished them. He's he's lifted a hand of of protection. He's instilled a hand of punishment. His soul, which would normally want to rain out blessing, has actually abhorred them and done all kinds of things. It's been absolutely horrible. Um, if they confess, so what does that imply? Someone makes a confession. What's the what's the other side of the story? What's the other? Who? That you can change things. You can change God. Okay, one is change. Good. Mm. 
if I confess to the Lord, what do I hope? To be forgiven. Yeah, I hope that I get forgiven. I hope he hears, right? There's a he's close. I brought you into the land of your enemies, but I'm here too. And if you speak to me, I will listen. I'm not, I said, I'm not removed. Like Daniel is in captivity, and yet he prays to the Lord. Why? I'm nowhere in the Holy Land. I'm, you know, I'm in exile. Looks like I'm never going to go back, but I will still pray to the Lord, and he will still hear, hear me. Actually, quite, quite beautiful. In amongst all this mess of twice as many punishments as there are um, blessings, you still get that, those, those verses of incredible hope. And, and does, yeah. it, does it also, <clears throat> sorry, does it also, it's showing us all the way through some of these that God isn't somewhere else. God is, God is we're so close to him always, and we still are. He's close to his people, whatever is going on. He knows what's happening. He, he knows what to expect. And he's allowing these things to happen for the people to see um, his world in the way that he wants it to be. That, that <clears throat> So by being that close to them, he's, he's saying, this is what I want you to do. And I can see that you can do it. Please do it. He, he desperately wants them to be good. He desperately wants to be part of their world because yep. he hasn't left them. That's right. He hasn't deserted them. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, right? We, we cease. Our faithfulness fails, but not his. And so it's, a, it's actually an incredible, beautiful thing. He has, as Paddy said in the chat, he escorts them. He has not given up on them. He wants to hear the confession. He's waiting around for, for the change of heart. And then he'll act. Then, then he won't go, oh, no, sorry, too late, you know, um, I'm, uh, I told you so. Uh, uh, there's none of that here. Um, it's actually, uh, actually I'm, I'm ready to, to act. And that's a really good thought and also very good theology for all of us and our families and our loved ones that, that are not walking with the Lord right now. Where we go, oh, has God abandoned them? No. Where's God? He's right with them. If they, if they turn and confess, is he going to hear? Absolutely. Is he going to act beneficially for them? Yes. Is he going to respond? And so there's, there's, we should always have hope for our, our loved ones. We should never, never give up on them because God never does either. And, okay, there's punishment. Yes, there's reaping and sowing. That's for everyone. That's corporate, individual, national, community, church, you name it. But there's always the opportunity to confess. Right. Um, it, uh, it's, a, it's that one of those famous lines, okay, not in the Bible, it's, it's in, or, uh, it's in uh, I think it's in the Mishnah, um, when the temple was burning and they were taking away, you know, uh, people into captivity. Um, I can't remember which, which rabbi it was. It might have been Yochanan ben Zakai, but they asked, what are we going to do? The temple's been destroyed. And he looked at his disciples and says, well, we can always repent. You know, we, uh, the, Jerusalem's gone, yes, but we can repent. Uh, the Romans have conquered everything. Yep, all right, we can repent. And I think he also brought the promises of of, of them coming back into the land. Yep, uh, yes, because it comes up here. Yes, if they confess, right, and the, the iniquity of their fathers, that's very interesting. Uh, and I brought them into the land of their enemies. I didn't leave. I brought them. I didn't just send them. I didn't throw them away. 
uh, and uh, very interesting here, they're uncircumcised hearts, right? That God has always wanted a heart that loves him. Okay. Actions, yes, absolutely, but it'll spring from the heart first. Okay. Uh, that is humble uh, and and that they make amends for their iniquity. So there's the repentance. It's there. Then God's going to do something. And what's the first thing he's going to do? Going to remember. Does that mean God forgot? No. No. Because biblical memory isn't about being forgetful. What's biblical memory? To ask for them. Yes. Yep. Um, Shimshon's correct. When you remember in, in, in the Bible, you act. You do something. And um, uh, that's the sort of this sort of idea is the idea that I forgot the Lord. I didn't do things. I didn't do what he wanted. It's not that I forgot that there was a God or, you know, I just sort of, you know, he skipped my mind one day. It's, it's uh, but when God remembers, he will remember his covenant with Jacob. Not that he ever forgot it. Right. Because obviously Jacob's, you know, hanging out with him. Jacob, Jacob can always follow, you know, give him a little nudge. Hey, Lord. King of the universe, you know that promise you made to me. Um, I'll remember my covenant. And he got, it's, it's quite an interesting thing he does. He goes over and does all the patriarchs, Jacob, Abraham, uh, Isaac, even. And I will remember the land. Right? This is very interesting. Uh, God is going to act on behalf of the land as well, uh, which we've actually seen in the return of Israel in the modern period. Okay, they came back to this very dry, um, sort of rather barren country that had been forgotten about quite some time, and they've filled it. And uh, they've uh, it's it's plants and trees and rivers and things all over the place. Um, you know, we have so much water now, thanks to uh, desalination and the blessing of the Lord, that um, uh, they've doubled their sales to Jordan. Of water we're now sending more uh, water to our neighbors and as of next year they're going to start pumping it into the sea of galilee so they've decided that we've got so much water we're just going to maintain the level of the lake now we're going to keep it at a certain level it'll it won't go up or down it'll just always be the same um never never done that before right the, the sea of galilee has always risen and fallen and it's often been seen as a picture of um of the spirituality of israel <laughs> You know, mm. if, if, the, if the sea was low, Israel was in a spiritual wilderness. But if the, it was full up, then we were, you know, we, we were mm. with the Lord and and uh, and blessed. But now it seems like permanent. Um, uh, but the the land, God's going to remember the land. He's going to have an effect on it. You know, it's going to do all the things that He's told them it's going to do. In fact, uh, in some some occasions, God even speaks to the earth, and it has to respond with with uh, joy and with flowers and with, with, with wealth and with um, fertility. And, uh, but first, the land should be abandoned by them and will enjoy its Sabbaths, which is a hint to that prophecy, which we see in the Babylonian period, um, while it lies des desolate. And they'll make amends for their iniquity. Well, how will they do that? Will they offer sacrifices? And the answer is no, because they can't do that. Right, we're, <laughs> we're in captivity. We don't have a temple. Um, so if we can't sacrifice for our sins, what will we do? And the answer is we'll repent. That's right. It's not always been that way. In fact, um, uh, last on Sunday, we read Psalm 85, a beautiful psalm, where the sons of Korah, who 
you know, not not the, didn't have such a good start um, uh, with their father's rebellion. But they came good and they became worship leaders and they wrote some incredible psalms. And Psalm 85 um, talks about how God is going to forgive. He's going to remember. He's going to bless. He's going to take away all their sins. Not once, as it say, because of a blood of a bull or a goat. No sacrifice is mentioned at all. It all comes from a repentant heart, a confession and a forgiveness from the Lord. And you get that here. They shall make amends for their iniquity. How? Um, because they spurned my rules and their soul abhorred my statutes or my teachings. That's an interesting description, isn't it? Not just, you know, they were their hearts were astray. The very soul, which comes from God, right? It's the part of you that's, that's, that, that lives beyond your body. And, um, and it was it, it abhorred the Lord, but it can have the opportunity to return. Yet for all that, when they're in the land of the Israelites, I won't spurn them, neither will I abhor them, so as to destroy them utterly and break my covenant, because heaven forbid that God will ever break his word. He'll keep true. Because I am the Lord God. I don't do that kind of stuff. Uh, I always keep my, my promises. But I will, for their sake, remember the covenant with their forefathers, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt, in sight of the nations. So this has actually also got to do with God's name. Okay? Sacred history reflects also God's character. So his, his name is at stake as well in all of this. And um, I will be their God. Uh, I am the Lord. And then it seems like that actually should end the book, but we've still got one more chapter yet. Right? These are the statutes and the laws. And then you go, okay, well, what's the next bit then? Uh, how come you still keep talking? You know, the addendum to the Torah. Um, uh, but anyway, God does have another few more things to say to Moses. But um, you know, confession is there. It's got nothing to do with kill an animal and I'll bring you back out of captivity. Confess. It's a heart thing. Now, that's not to say that sacrifices are not required. God asked for them too. But you've got to start with a right heart first. You've got to start with confession. You've got And, and making amends. That is a physical action. You know, faith and action, those go hand in hand. The, the Bible constantly talks about walking with the Lord, halakha, actually acting out and then the response for god is i'll walk with you which is which is which is unlike other gods you know they sort of sit in heaven we will offer a sacrifice and they will bless us with nice weather well actually god has always wanted to walk with his people he's always wanted to be doing something that's an activity and an action he will walk and talk with adam he will live with his people. He will journey with them through the wilderness. He'll journey with them to the promised land and live with them. He'll journey with them into exile. Right? It doesn't matter. He'll just keep journeying with them, which is a really nice thought for us and our families as well, that he has never left them alone or abandoned them. That's very nice. But there is this promise that, that uh, it's prophetic, that despite... Um, falling away there is the the promise of restitution and redemption and uh, and a bringing back and uh, all of that all before we leave mount sinai you know if you just imagine the children of israel sort of going you know that was actually quite a lot moses i'm really going to need to think about that 
and Moses is like, oh, yeah, you have 40 years to figure it out, buddy. Yeah, um, yeah. You can take take some time. Okay, let's uh, let's let's develop a, a cycle to read this and study it. Yeah, there was a lot there from the Lord, um, but uh, it's it's this journey now that the children of Israel um, begin. They're at Mount Sinai, they've got the call to be holy. They've heard it, and now they take time to digest it. It's going to carry blessings with it. It's going to carry prophetic realms of disaster. You know, it's not always nice to hear, um, you know, tell your son that uh, as you're dying in the wilderness, you'll go into the Holy Land and you'll mess it up. Thanks for the pep talk. You know, I really appreciate that. Anything else you want to tell me? Um, yes, God will go with you. God's never going to abandon you. you know? And so you've got this corporate idea that, yeah, you'll all go in and mess up. But you as an individual don't have to. You as an individual can still speak to your nation as your nation is supposed to speak to the nations around the world. Um, our, our countries where we all live in might be going to hell in a handbasket, but we can still make our little part of them better. And we should. We should, ne- we should not abandon Czech. We should definitely not abandon Nigeria because you guys are going to have to send us missionaries because there's going to be <laughs> more of you than there is of us in about 10 years. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> um, I can't remember what the prediction was, but was it it's in 50 years or something? You're going to have the same number of people as China because they're going to shrink and you're going to grow. We're going to grow. And um, we don't know if, if we can. I mean, we have a lot to distribute. So maybe that you guys have a lot of land in, um, in Australia. You're almost a continent. So we wish it someday. <laughs> I, I, on, on their behalf, I shall say come over. <laughs> But but bring your faith with you, bunch of pagans in Australia. So then yeah, yeah, you. <laughs> you know the the, the 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 call of God, just like you just explained, has both um, individualistic and corporate um, faces to it, and uh, you could see why sometimes some kind of drastic punishment is taken against people who sing in the community, um, like when Phineas has to. Um, you know, use the javelin on those two, Zimri and um, Cosby. And um, you see um, when they had the golden calf, Moses says, oh, you, um, each man take a sword and kill his brother, you know. I mean, they look very drastic, but it's because of the cause and effect of what other people do in the society um, that it affects us generally. And um, we also do that in our society today, although in a different way. Um, when people are criminal or they have um, a kind of crime rate, then you put them in prison. You put them away from people so that they don't come to contaminate people. Because when you leave those people to continue their ways of life, then it's going to contaminate people. You have more people doing those things. And um, uh, it makes more sense when, you know, God decides to make us a community. Because that's the whole essence. That is kingdom will reign on earth. If you look at Daniel... The kingdom that is going to grow from the stone that is going to destroy the image of Nebuchadnezzar is going to become the image of God. It's going to become the community of God. And um, they need to show that perfection so that um, we cannot import um, some um, judgment upon us. And just to answer Teresa's question about um, how can we um, repent in a a multi-religious society, um, what just came to me was um, the Jonah's incidents. You know, Jonah was in the boat, and um, the boat was being tossed to and fro, and everybody was panicking, and all of a sudden, 
They called on Jonah. They called on the name of your God. Everybody was calling on the name of your God. You know, they were all kind of repenting, but, you know, everybody was getting it wrong. But uh, we cannot get it uh, in that way. I mean, but we are repenting, but some are calling on the wrong God and things like that. And until Jonah to tell them, okay, you just throw me, that's the, uh, that's the appeasement for this, um, for this tossing of the thing. And um, just like that, we, 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 can, we can come together. Of course, the church is going to lead and bring people to repentance because um, I, I don't think it's um, our fossil fuel that is causing the global change. Um, I think it's the, that's my personal belief. I think it's the sins um, that is causing, just like the Bible explains it, that we are having all this because we've had um, climate change from the inception of the world. Even scientists say that it was climate change that took out the dinosaurs. I mean, but nobody was doing any carbon prints then. So how come climate change took out the dinosaurs? So well, a lot of questions need to be answered. But um, the, the bottom line is this. We, we, we need to pray. We need to repent of our ways. We've been very careless. We've been very, um, that we will not be with God. We've actually forgotten God, um, not acting um, in these laws and in his, um, in, in his ways, in his mishpatim, in his kukim, that we are supposed to be living in and we're not doing that. And so we see the effects. You know, just like you also mentioned, just to um, fire around off, that um, the Lord remembered the land too because the people repented. They remembered the covenant, but ultimately they remembered the land. And that's very big. That is, that is huge. Yeah. Thanks very much. And I like the idea that we actually have the opportunity to affect people when, when they're sinning or in amongst their problem. Remember, Joseph was in prison and he could actually help people and speak into people's lives. Daniel's in a, in a pagan realm and he can actually speak. Ne Nehemiah can as well. Um, and, and also close to home. Um, like, for example, I study with some, uh, some Jewish guys, non-believers, and uh, one of them has a daughter who's suffering from cancer. And, and I, he asked me to pray. And I said, I will. Do you mind if I, I will pray in the name of Jesus, who I, who I think is the Messiah, who's alive, who's real, who can send his spirit? Um, and he says, please pray. Please. You know, so we have the opportunity wherever we are as individuals to make the right choices and reach out and share the faith, sh sh spread the light, even if it's all a mess around it. And so we should never give up. Well, obviously, God doesn't give up on us because he's with us and his people in captivity, in exile, in times of blessings and, and times of non-blessings. Uh, and, of course, how much more for the household of, God, of faith? And uh, So we, we should uh, take on that call to be holy and, uh, and, and to embrace that as a holy community and a holy people and watch that change the world until he comes. All right, folks. Uh, thank you for a great study. We will pick it up next week on the last chapter, uh, the last, essentially the last chapter of the Torah before we get to Deuteronomy and uh, see what Moses still has to say uh, just just before the end. Why, why, why did this chapter show up? Why wasn't it tacked on before? And then you got the verse, these are the statues and the laws. Uh, what happened there? Thank you for listening. Our sermons and Bible studies are on all your favorite podcasting platforms. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, 
Google Podcasts, and more. Sermons can also be found on YouTube. Follow us on Facebook for alerts on live streams. If you are blessed by these teachings, please prayerfully consider giving toward the work of Christchurch. Visit ChristchurchJerusalem.org Blessings from the City of the Great King